Mana 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 this is social disgusting welcome to social disgusting a podcast where my guests and i discuss our lives amidst the wanton hellscape in which we find ourselves i am brandon aka brandon i hope you're well my guest is a singer a songwriter and a multi-instrumentalist who is the drummer now for 11 years for the fantastic band dr dog along with being a touring musician for a number of others and is a solo artist who released the delightful album Wiseacre on August 14th and recently started his path down the road to Egotum after winning an Emmy for co-writing the score for the documentary F11 and Be There. Please welcome Eric Slick. Welcome. Uh, hello. <laughs> <laughs> that was such a nice introduction, you know. I listened to a lot of podcasts and I was really waiting for like the, and we're sponsored by MeUndies and we're sponsored by Casper. So it was nice to hear you uh, talk about how great I am, even though I don't feel like I'm that great. So thank you very <laughs> yeah. much. Um, I am here. Yes. <laughs> that, you know, honestly, that's about as good a way, you know, in a weird way, like summarize what all of this is like. I'm here. I'm here. That's it. Yeah. I'm alive. <laughs> That's like all we can control it now is like we're here. I'm here, both psychologically, geographically. I'm here. That's <laughs> well, yeah. It's just like uh, everything has been so on pause in a way that I just feel like I've been in suspended animation. You know, like I'm just floating through a cloud and I'm here. I'm in the moment. You know. Yeah, it's like being in a movie and like they stick their heads out to wait for like is the coast clear and it's we're still waiting and like and eventually you're like oh I just have to go about some form of my life now until the coast is clear. I don't know when that's going to be, but this is just it. When is the coast going to be clear? That's the big that's the biggest <laughs> question. And what's crazy is right now I'm in Texas. I'm in Tornillo, Texas, which is like right on the Mexican border, you know. Yeah. I I'm at a recording studio working on a project with um some really amazing musicians and it's this big compound called Sonic Ranch which is like you could do some research on it but it's essentially It's beautiful. You know about Sonic Ranch? I've read up on it. I know that the tagline I guess you would say is a beautiful place to create and I've seen the photos confirmed. It's beautiful. It's beautiful and you're just kind of isolated in the middle of nowhere. But it's an interesting place to be because like Texas lifted the mask mandate yesterday and yeah. ever and you know musicians are sensitive to this stuff because we want to get back to touring as soon as we possibly can. We want to get back to working together. And so like all of us got covid tests before we even came here. There's covid testing on site at the studio. Okay. And so like this whole like Texas mask mandate being lifted thing is just like it puts a real wrench in everything that we're trying to preserve over here by being very very covid safe yeah so it's a little frustrating i gotta say and then i and then of course like i'm gonna have to drive back home to tennessee through texas and like who the hell knows what's in the future for me at like the gas stations i'm gonna have to like double mask or something yeah i i would just double mask just slather myself in some form of like antiseptic or something i don't know i i'm not like in life i guess not like a mega germ phobe but uh yeah you know a pandemic that doesn't really discriminate between people who are able-bodied or otherwise that'll do it and so now i'm like deeply paranoid oh yeah so paranoid i mean my, my parents just got vaccinated so like at the very least i'm awesome i am so happy that they were able to get that vaccination but like for myself you know theoretically i you know if i end up getting covid who, who knows you know it's like i i might be okay i might not be okay it's like it's really 
it's it's left up to chance. So yeah, we'll see. Yeah. So we'll so we'll see what happens when uh, I go home and what that trip's like. But we'll try to like stay as in the car as possible. Like something I was even looking up yesterday was like like a way to get like a like a portable toilet for the car. <laughs> <laughs> like one of the like one of those bags that makes your urine like odorless. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's probably a lot better than just um, sticking your ass out a window and leaving it to chance and hoping you don't get any other car. That's probably probably the smart choice. Well, this this has been true before the pandemic, but like musicians stopping at truck stops, like we, it, it's not fun. Like we, you know, you stop at truck stops, especially like in the the Midwest or the South, and it's just like. It's like wow, like every men's restroom really is just covered in pubic hair. Like, what is the deal with this? Why didn't we? Why didn't anyone figure this out? Why isn't there like a vacuum that comes down from the ceiling and sucks it all up? Like, <laughs> this, is, this is revolting. As somebody in Arkansas, uh, confirmed. Yeah, no, I, I don't know. I don't know why it's like there are some things in life where it's like people just accept it, and it's like yeah, fair enough. But there are others, such as pube-infested uh, bathrooms, where I'm like, why is this just fine? I guess, honestly, nobody wants to be the person that does the job, and fair enough. But, like, those truck stops always felt like some sort of cesspool for, like, disease. Or, you know, like, every time I would sit down at a pilot toilet, I'd just be like, well, here, here goes nothing, you know? <laughs> yeah. and, th- and then you have the pandemic on top of that. It's all compounded, you know? So... The underrated Russian roulette of a gas station <laughs> toilet. <laughs> I'm glad that this is how we're starting the conversation. It feels very on brand for me. I love talking about pee pee and poo poo. So perfect. Is, so this is great. I feel like, you know, I'm trying to be a serious artist, and this is just hammering it home. Good. <laughs> Good. We need to keep. We need to stay. Keep the brand strong. So poo poo pee poo. Poo poo pee poo. I'll poo poo pee poo. No, that's what well, you look, said. Why you know, not? I know. Look, if you ha- if you need a phase two for the brand, poo poo pee poo. Uh, there we go. There I'm so gonna. I'm gonna. I'm gonna put that on the internet today. Like, I, okay. I did a podcast. I did a podcast today, and instead of pee pee poo poo, we said poo poo pee poo. So <laughs> we have to, we, tease. Now, we we now have a variant. You know. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, you're in Sonic Ranch right now. At Sonic Rand right now. Yeah. You went down there, I guess, Friday. How the first however many days been down there? Oh, man, they've been super productive. I mean, it's wild to be in a recording session again. I've done, like, a a couple of little one-offs back at home. And then I've I've been doing a lot of remote recording sessions. So people have been sending me their songs. And then I've been engineering it myself at my home studio. So it's like somebody sends me a song. I do a pass on the drums or guitar or bass, whatever they want. I send it off to them and then they send it back to me and there's like revisions. So it's like the process ends up getting a lot more drawn out than normal because usually you're just in the studio with a bunch of killer musicians or people that you really love playing with. And then things sort of happen naturally and like, you know, someone plays an idea on an instrument and then you respond to it. So there's this conversation happening. But that has been completely absent from my life for the last year. So it's really like jarring actually to be at the studio and we're being so productive. Like we've got like 11 songs done and we've only been here a couple days, but oh, wow. we're, we're all just so like bursting at the seams to play music and communicate in that way and get that, get, get that language back. Yeah. 
Because it does feel like it's atrophied a little bit being at home. Like, I'm at home, someone sends me a track, and I'm just like, yeah, you know, okay, I'm going to build a natural arc for this song, what I think the song would need or something. And uh, it's just a way different way of working. And it's not like, I mean, I definitely prefer being in a room with people, but of course, like, I don't want to be irresponsible, you know, so... Yeah, it's tough to kind of ride that line and in general, obviously, but depending on how many people are in the room. But to your point about recording over Internet, so to speak, of like, yeah, that feels sounds so much more disjointed and uh, not really kind of what the collaborative it's technically collaboration, but like not in the more, I guess, traditional sense. So to be in a room with with people and just to be in a room with people where, you know, people feed off each other's energy let alone what it is to play music together must be very nice. Oh my God, it's so crazy. Like, I feel like I've had 12 cups of coffee. Like, like the first time we were all playing together in the room the other day, I was just like, man, wow, this is profound, you know? Like, and it gets me thinking about, like, we've had a lot of conversations this last week about, like, the future of everything. Like, mm-hmm. we've been ta- we've been talking about, like, the future of touring, the future of recording. We've been talking about, like, Neuralink, you know? And I'm just like, <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I mean, I have mixed feelings about any kind of like generative musics in the future, but like to me as a human, I think there's nothing that's ever going to beat the chemistry of playing with other humans and having to rely on your intuition. Like, you know, maybe the Neuralink allows us to speak without words or whatever Elon Musk is planning or whatever, whatever brain chips people want to have. But like, it's fascinating to think about from like a, like a medicinal perspective, like, if Neuralink could theoretically cure Alzheimer's, then fuck yeah, I'm all for it. But like, yeah. when it comes to like talking about the implications for things like creativity, something that I feel like comes from your subconscious and comes from how you process the world, and it's like this unique, this uniquely individualistic thing. Like, it does scare the living shit out of me a little bit. I think to your point, there are some absolutely amazing implications potentially, but I also think it's fucking frightening. And I say this, by the way, like, because I'm not a person in the moment who necessarily needs something cured, at least that I'm aware of. So it's easy for me to say, but just the implications of that, uh, the ripple effect could be gigantic. Like, it's very scary to me. Well, think about it this way. Anytime, like, a technology gets invented, like, think about the low-hanging fruit, right? Like, you know, the iPhone gets invented and then suddenly everyone becomes a cell phone addict. Yeah. You know, it's like the implications of having a cell phone in your pocket are incredible. You have the entire library of the world at your fingertips. You could look up, you know, like who invented the bidet. <laughs> but like, yeah. or but like, you're yeah, like, back. you're like, yeah, you're like, yeah, oh, we're we're 100 back. <laughs> uh, no, but like, you you could theoretically be sitting and be like, yeah, you know, uh, who invented the bidet? And then you're like, yeah. oh, it was a French person. Okay, cool. And then you know that information. Whereas like. With theoretically, with something like Neuralink, it's like, okay, what's the low-hanging fruit? And then, like, if you even have, like, the slightest bigoted mind or biased mind or, you know, if you're somebody who's already predisposed to these kinds of, like, hateful feelings, just think about what that would mean. Or, like, yeah. or like you know, people, like, looking at terrible pornography on their Neuralink or whatever, whatever it yeah. is. It's like you have to also factor in all the uh, things that are – low-hanging as opposed to the things that are really aspirational like yeah curing curing diseases and like you know things that have brought so much suffering and pain to the world so it's like you have to it's just it's a weird thing to think about and especially i think creative people think about this stuff 
maybe more because we're just like constantly being confronted with new technologies all the time. Yeah. Um, I don't know. <laughs> you had said you, you tweeted, which is an ominous beginning to a sentence. Oh boy! But uh, yeah, no, but this is okay. Started demos on the next record while we're working on another record. Is there like any, some form of like compartmentalization that comes with doing those two things at once, or is it kind of the same difference? Uh, oh, I compartmentalize everything. So okay, fair enough. So so essentially, like if I'm working on a project, I'm always trying to find ways to work on another project at the same time because like when I'm home, I am like. How do I put this? I have a tendency to procrastinate and be lazy when it comes to my own creative process. So I find that when I'm involved in somebody else's creative process, it gets my juices flowing and I feel okay. I feel less prone to procrastination. Now, of course, I'm starting to realize, especially with the pandemic, that like I'm I'm not as much of a procrastinator as I, I even thought I was. I'm actually like kind of a workaholic and probably need to dial it back a little bit. Um, so it's funny because like, there's this like perfectionism thing that I've I've gone through in my life where I'm like trying to constantly eradicate this perfectionist idea of who I am, but like it still shows itself in different ways. And one of those ways is like I gotta make something, I gotta make something out of nothing. And like there's always this drive to do that. Now the reason that there's a drive to do that is because when I was younger, I was discouraged by my music teachers to make music. So I feel like this is my form of rebellion in a way. Like, okay, I didn't start writing songs until fairly late. Like, um, you know, most people start writing songs in their early teen years, and then they like really develop their voice when they're a teenager. Sometimes, like, I'll hear a song from somebody I really admire, and I hear their teenage work, and I'm like, man, you sound exactly the the same. But I, yeah. I didn't, I didn't really have that luxury. I had a lot of teachers actually dissuading me from doing it and being like you're a drummer you don't really write songs you know so every time i sit down to write it's kind of me being like fuck you guys or <laughs> yeah <laughs> see uh, see I, I hate you dad <laughs> <No>. <laughs> and, it, and it was mostly the male figures in my life so it's interesting to sort of psychoanalyze it and be like you know this is why I'm a creative person now. It's it's a form of rebellion. And to speak to what you were actually asking, like I have a tendency when I write to like write in, in bursts. So like sometimes half of the material is stuff that I would put in under like quote unquote Eric Slick material. And then I have another band called Lithuania that's like a little bit more punky and aggressive. And then that stuff gets thrown into that pile. But like I can usually have a gut feeling where it's like, okay, that song has that kind of flavor, and that actually feels like the natural progression of like where the Eric Slick solo project is going. I got you. Uh, the more the sensitive side. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's just one of those things that sometimes it's just like your gut instinct is just unquantifiable. It's just like, yeah, it feels right. This yeah. is what it is, and so yeah, I guess it's more of just a, a more instinctual approach in that regard. And, and so what I meant by starting a record while working on another record, it's like, yeah, I'm here working on a record that is requiring my full attention, but I'm sneaking time in the morning to start working on the follow-up to Wiseacre. And I've also had like option paralysis a little yeah. bit. Like after making Wiseacre, like Wiseacre was this really kind of watershed moment for me as a songwriter. And it took a long time to make it. It took about two years to write it and record it and get it the way that I wanted it to be, which is a long time. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times like people kind of, you can like fart out a record in your bedroom in a week. 
and it, and it could be like amazing, you know, like yeah. people have access to incredible recording gear now and software and various ways and means to get that material out there as soon as possible. But I think I'm just a little bit more old school and I like to really measure everything and be like, is this exactly what I want to say? Is this exactly the way that I want it to sound? And I think that there's something to be said for that kind of intentionality. But then, you know, you make a record that you're really happy with and then people say this like, the difficult third record. So I feel like I'm starting the process of like, okay, what's my difficult third record? And like, am I going to go like full wizard castle prog rock over here? Or am I going <laughs> to yeah. like, am I going to make like a harsh noise record? Like I'm, I'm, I'm throwing a bunch of stuff at the wall right now and seeing what sticks. That's fun though, to kind of find that, like, what is this, you know, that, that sense of discovery was Wiseacre finished during the quarantine, or like songs written master whatever the case may be or no no i finished the record in september or october of 2019 so it was done and then i went through that like uh incredibly maddening process of sending it to a bunch of people and then getting no response or getting like uh oh cool i'll check it out or you know oh i'm not interested or would you be willing to put this out in 2023 or you know like yeah and it was just all it was the same old shit where you know i'd send my record around to people and they didn't get it and i would get really depressed and then uh, global pandemic happened, and my I, of course, of course. And so I had a talk with my manager, and I was like, "I don't know if I it's psychologically good for me to just sit on this record for a long time because I want to move on." You know, like yeah, I've already spent two years on this record. I don't want this to become like some arduous, drawn out process. So we decided to just move forward and put it out in 2020. But ironically, yeah, there's a song on the record called Quarantine, which is exactly that's li- what I was thinking. Literally a word I never use. And <laughs> I wrote that song in 2018 and I it's actually a song about like uh it's a song about um toxic masculinity. So I thought it was kind of funny that I was like, okay, the song is sort of like a Randy Newman style song where it's like self-deprecating and it's about like Oh man, we should take all the toxic men and quarantine them. You know that was sort of that was sort of the con- done. That's the con- that's the concept behind the song. Like, oh, we should take we should put them in quarantine and like fix them because like toxic men are ruining our society. And I'm also addressing the toxic man inside myself, right? Like the white hetero male who was raised by you know a society that like you know put a lot of bad stuff in my brain. So it was me sort of reconciling with that. And so I wrote a song called Quarantine. And then, of course, like, I put the record out. People were like, man, you wrote a song about quarantine, like, about COVID. I'm like, no, I definitely did not write a song. First of all, first of all, I would never write a song about COVID. (laughs) Good. You know, because, and I'll tell you why. One time I played a show with Kevin Costner. And he wrote a song about Hurricane Katrina, and the first lyric, <laughs> the first lyric was Hurricane Katrina, and I was like, and I took that to heart. I was like, so okay, you don't do that. You don't do that in a song. <laughs> Man, I like I like the idea though that your basis for a non-pandemic song is the musical choice of Kevin Costner, <laughs> which is just wow, what a sentence. To be fair. I am not a. Uh, I would not say that I am a drug user at all, right? Like I, I I'm pretty. Uh, I'm pretty straight edge when it comes to most things. But the night that we played with Kevin Costner, I decided it would be a good idea to take mushrooms, which I have done maybe a, two or three times in my life. And it, <laughs> and so seeing him do a song about Hurricane Katrina on mushrooms to a crowd of a hundred people in an open field in Mississippi, what a what a vibe! What a sentence! What a sentence. 
I'll, that's, I'll be, that's an experience. I'll be writing my memoir soon. Good. <laughs> <laughs> and the, 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 the book's just called Watching Kevin Costner on Mushrooms. <laughs> <laughs> Kevin Costner, colon, no Katrina. Exclamation uh... point. <laughs> How did that come about exactly? That's interesting. How did we play a show with Kevin Costner? Yeah. Oh, this is a good story. So Dr. Dog got asked to play a festival in Mississippi. This was right after the BP oil spill. So the Gulf it's like in the Gulf of Mississippi, the Gulf Shores. Yeah. And uh like the area was super ravaged by the oil spill and BP was like, We have to make good on this fa- on the fact that we like caused an environmental disaster. So they uh put together a festival to try to like raise money, I guess. <laughs> and we felt a little weird about doing it. And the lineup was us, Soul Asylum, six wow. pe- sixpence none the richer. <laughs> Greg Allman and the headliner was Kevin Costner, which was just like, what is happening? I was just like, this is <laughs> a weird fucking show. And uh, they sold 3000 tickets, gave away 2000 tickets. And out of protest, only 100 people showed up. And it was like this big open field. So imagine being in a big open field with like only 100 other people. <laughs> and, th- and there was like kind of a fire fest energy about it. Like the backstage food was like white bread and American cheese and like barbecue sauce. And I was like, what am I supposed to do with this? So <laughs> uh, like we were done playing and I was a little bit depressed. And our tour manager was just like, Hey, we you know we were in New Orleans last night. I bought mushrooms. Do you want one? And I was just like, "Fuck it, I'm gonna watch mm-hmm. Kevin Costner on mushrooms." So I watched it and I cried laughing the whole time. <laughs> and then there was a certain point when it felt weird to be watching Kevin Costner, where I was like, "This is so weird." Like he's five feet away from me, and I'm used to seeing him in like Bull Durham. Like this is weird. So and not singing on top of that. And so, yeah, so I ran to back to our tour bus because I was like starting to panic a little bit. And I put on the, the TV in the tour bus, which, you know, is usually like a satellite TV. And fucking Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was on TV, which like... Holy shit. You're on hallucinogenics and then that kind of synchronicity happens. You have to wonder, like, if you are in the Truman Show, you know, like... <laughs> like, man, these are powerful mushrooms. It's summoning a movie where he, like, does an English accent and then drops it within three minutes. Within three minutes. It's like, huh, all right, he <laughs> kisses the sand, and now he's suddenly not British. I like that in real time he realized this is a bad idea. He just knew. So, <laughs> so that was weird, and that's the last time I did psychedelics because it was actually a, one of the more pleasant times. I didn't have, like, a bad time, and I honestly didn't take enough for it to be, like, psychologically damaging, but... I did watch Kevin Costner on Mushrooms, and uh, now the whole world knows it. So <laughs> That's a lot to process without Mushrooms. Yeah. So with them, I mean, that adds another layer. So that's a lot. There's a lot going on there. Yeah, it was loaded. It was a loaded <laughs> experience. Uh, and I feel, you know, sometimes people tell me this, and I don't know if this is true, but they're like, your face invites an energy. And I think that, like, because I'm naive and gullible and, like, also very silly, like, things happen to me that should not happen at all. Where I'm, like, at the supermarket and, like, a guy comes up to me and he's like, hey, you want to buy my turds? And I'm like, what? Why did that just happen to me? And I'm like... I'm, this is on brand. And Perfect. I'm, and I'm at, yeah, when I'm asking my friends, like, did a guy who was naked in the supermarket ask you to buy his turds ever? And they're like, no, that's never happened to me. I'm like, okay, cool. I guess I just invite that energy. <laughs> you're like, oh, perfect. So this is 
not normal? Hmm. Yeah. I want I gotta rethink some things. I, I tell this stuff to my wife a lot where I'm like, Yeah, one time in Philly I saw a guy like straight up in the broad daylight take a pizza box, put it on a trash can, pull his pants down and poop in the pizza box. And then walk away with the pizza box. And she was like, Wow, you really just that's just your life, huh? I'm like, Yeah, I guess so. And I wonder if it's like because I'm ADD and I just notice those things you know maybe some maybe somebody else is just like eating a hot dog in the park and they don't even notice that but i'm just like all right there's that thing that just happened and i'm (laughs) just here but if you if that's just like an everyday part of your life you know you don't have that context to know oh yeah this isn't normal maybe normal whatever that means i suppose but normal for most people's day-to-day experiences you know that not everyone's encountering a guy taking a deuce in a pizza box and then nonchalantly walking off like yeah that was normal yeah, and, and the thing is, like, I wonder how many millions of people just go through their lives never having to see something like that. <laughs> like, like, and should they? I don't like, know. Like, if I move to the suburbs, am I like, what are my odds of seeing a guy walk up to a trash can, put a pizza box on top of it, poop in it, and walk away? I would imagine not high. Although, you know, to be fair, I guess it depends on the suburb. There's some wild suburbs out there, I imagine, you know. I guess. Poop, yeah, poop. Pooping in pizza boxes or otherwise. I don't know. So, so you know, it's like, I, I just have to accept that this is my life. And I'm I'm going to just try to invite more of that energy, even though it might be totally disgusting. At least I have some stories, you know? Well, that, stories can go a long way. And, I mean, in my very limited uh, experience having talked to you, I can tell you that they're memorable. <laughs> uh, each, so, that's fun. I'm all about it. I love a good story. But I, I was curious about something. This okay. is... My subtle transition. Okay. That in December, you released the cover of Todd Rundgren's Can We Still Be Friends? And you decided that it's something you'd listen to a lot when you were recording. Wiseacre. Uh, what are you finding yourself, if anything, like listening to right now? Wow. Okay, so right now, let me just... I'm going to look at my uh, Spotify playlist because... Perfect. I feel like this will be a better clue into what I'm actually listening to. Okay, so yes, Todd Rundgren is still on my playlist. But I've been like... Trying to find what the next, um, like, what the through line is from Wiseacre to whatever I do next. Because there's yeah. there's still, like, stuff I want to do in music. And I don't think that I'm ever going to get bored with music, right? But so right now it's like I'm listening to Alan Toussaint. Like, uh, okay. I'm listening to Peter Gabriel. I'm listening to Kate Bush. I'm listening to a lot of Genesis. I'm listening to a Prefab Sprout. So it's, like, a lot of stuff that's still art rock. But I'm just trying to figure out, like... I don't want to make the same record twice. I don't want to make yeah. I don't want to make Wiseacre Part Two because I think that that would be a bummer. And like I'm always bummed out when I hear an artist that like puts five albums out in a row that all sound the same. Yeah, it, it like frustrates me because I don't see growth. You know, and it's hard to grow. That's the other thing. Like it's really really hard to grow as an artist, especially now. There's so many expectations about what you should be doing and like how you should be trying to how how you should try to. Uh, you know, be as popular as you could possibly be. But I also wonder if, like, I'm trying to eschew that a little bit and, like, in the future, maybe I'm just going to make the most self-indulgent records and then, like, you know, earn my living by playing on pop records. I, w- I, just, yeah. I just wonder if that's my reality. I'm, I'm still trying to figure that out. That's interesting. You know, I, I think about that, too, with when an artist 
a band or, or just a, a solo artist breaks big, you know, and it feels like it tends to come out of like them not seeking that, you know, very organically. They do it, catches fire. For some reason, my brain went to Kings of Leon immediately. Yep. I, and I think the reason is, is because they're releasing new singles now that sound, it sounds like they're back, so to speak, which is to say, you know, they, Sex on Fire was gigantic. And then I felt like, in my opinion, that they were like chasing that popularity a little bit. And I don't blame them because like you, you catch fire and hard to be a giant success in that industry. It's a, so, it's okay. a powerful drug. That's the yeah. thing. I've watched it like tear people apart. So I'm not, I I'm not uh, anywhere near the success level of Kings of Leon. So it's like, well, okay. Am I going to try to make another record that like, you know, does the same thing or am I going to just make the records I want to make from now on and then sure. not really care about what other people think and like, just do exactly what I want to do. Um, so that so that's sort of the crossroads I'm at now, and sort of like uh, you know trying to figure out where to go next. Again, it could be total Castle Prague. It could be like total chill, like Serge Gainsbourg. Like I don't, I have no fucking idea. Yeah. So is part of the like the demo process just like yeah? I guess to your point, just throwing things at the wall and see what sticks. That's exactly right. I mean, like. I don't think I'm going to land on a concept until I write, you know. I mean, it can take a long time, too. It, it can, for Wiseacre, I, I think I wrote, like, upwards of 70 or songs or so. And oh, wow. and there was a mad dash to write a bunch of songs even before I went into the studio. So, like, I was just kind of sitting and farting out songs and trying to find something that spoke to me. But what I ended up finding is that I had, I had kind of gotten through the vast majority of the best stuff and that's what ended up being on the record. And then and, and then I was able to sit with that stuff and find a narrative arc through that. Yeah. Um and be like, okay, yeah, that's the record. You know, in that order, that feels correct to me. That feels great. And um it's tough because then there's also people who are like, well, no one listens to albums anymore. Everyone just puts things on shuffle and that's how people consume music. So you really shouldn't care about that stuff. But once again, I'm kind of an old school person and I like sitting down with a record and hearing it front to back and hearing like the journey it takes you on. I'm all about it. Like I love listening to an entire album to your point and just going through that entire experience. And I think also too, like so many things like popular trends, responses come out of that too. So all these things seem to come back around and I don't think that's going to be any different for, you know, the album experience as opposed to a collection of singles. Right, exactly. And so I just, it's like, I don't think that I'm ever going to be like a Spotify stock, you know, like I don't think I'm going to make like playlist music. I don't think anything that I ever do is going to be like consumed at that pop level. So yeah. I, I, the artists that I admire are the Todd Rundgrens of the world. You know, people who are just like constantly pushing themselves or like Bjork, you know, like Bjork puts out records of 10 minute orchestral sweeping, like atonal pieces yeah and everyone's like fuck yeah bjork you did that shit <laughs> and, and so like now to be fair bjork did have a career as a dyed in the wool pop artist but like i'm also not bjork so like i, I just i just but i admire that she does whatever she wants to do and she's always trying to push herself and always trying to push the envelope in a way so it's like maybe that's like career suicide for 
a solo artist, but like I think in the end that has way more longevity. Like, so, yeah. like, like thirty years from now, someone's gonna listen to that Bjork record and be like, "Holy shit, this Bjork record is really speaking to me." Whereas, like something that's as like disposable as a pop song has a sh- has a very short shelf life. I think like earnestness, people want innately respond to that. I know when I was younger, admittedly, when I liked a band and then they went and found a new sound and grew as artists. In my head, I was like, "No, this is what I, this is what I like about them." Right. So you want that now, but now thinking about it uh, as not being a child, I'm like, "No, th- that's awesome." Even if it doesn't resonate with me on the same level that maybe their previous work did, it's cool to see them grow and figure it out and just do whatever the fuck they want to do. Yep. Yeah, man. It's tr- <laughs> it's true. Here's a uh, here's a silly question. Yeah. That starts off seriously, but it gets silly. Back in June, your dog Marvin. Went through a, a radical new gen- genetic therapy yeah. to treat brain cancer. And I only bring it up because he's out of the weeds, cancer-free. Congratulations. Thank you. That's amazing. But my question is, is there now a little added resonance to the band name Dr. Dog? Ah! <laughs> Hello. There, there, there is, and it's funny because when I went to go take him to get the surgery... They're asking me what I do for a living, and I'm like, oh, I'm a musician. They're like, oh, do you play in a band? And I'm like, yeah, it's called Dr. Dog. And everyone <laughs> just kind of looks at you like, I'll remember that. <laughs> uh, yeah, oh, man, I miss Marvin so much. I just got – Natalie, uh, my wife, just sent me a bunch of pictures of him in the field looking so happy. He is now – he had like a month to three-month prognosis after his uh, brain cancer diagnosis. He had a really aggressive form of – Brain cancer called glioma, which is like the, it's connected to glioblastoma. So like what Bo Biden had, like a okay. r- really aggressive form of brain cancer, not a great prognosis. And um, he is still here and he is still the cutest little monster who who barks like a goblin. I mean, I just love him so much. A rare bright spot in an otherwise unwieldy, awful uh, 2020. So that, yeah, again, that's really awesome. Congratulations. I, I mean, Natalie was like, I, I she she was just like okay Marvin's gonna die you know like when we got the news she was just like all hope is lost and I could not sleep I was up on the internet like I'm gonna find a fucking cure like there's no way <laughs> yeah. in this shithole of a year that my dog's gonna die I was like there's no fucking way that's gonna happen and I ended up like emailing all these people who were inventing crazy drugs for dogs and then they were like. I can't give you this crazy drug for your dog because it's not approved by the FDA. <laughs> um, but then I found out about clinical trials and, you know, bless the people of the University of Minnesota. I mean, like, they found essentially a cure for gliomas in Boston Terriers. It's like... it's like That's amazing. It is... It's amazing. And Marvin's still doing great. He has an MRI in a couple weeks and fingers crossed that he's still cancer-free, but um, he's doing really well. That's delightful and great in any year, but certainly even more, a little bit, uh, again, added resonance to such an awful year. Like, finally a win. Yeah, yeah. It felt like we really dodged a bullet. And, you know, like, the thing is, Marvin is going to pass at some time, and I'm going to have to deal with it. And it's going to be devastating, but, like... I'm, not today. But, I'm, but, I'm, but, yeah, and I'm just so happy that we went through with that whole process of getting him the help that he needed and having him around for a little bit longer absolutely yeah well that's a 
a very high point in which to end this. Yeah. Thank you again. Thank you for your time. This is really great. Thank you. Oh my God. Thank you so much. This is blast. Yeah. And is there, what all, if anything, do you want to uh, point people toward before we wrap it up? Well, you can go to my website. It's ericslick.com. Uh, <laughs> if you want me to play on your drum, tra- uh, on your tracks, if you're going to play drums on your song, you can message me directly. I'm on Instagram as Strange America. And if you love toilet humor, then it's uh, 100% for you. So. Perfect. Perfect. And just like the beginning of beginning and possibly middle of this podcast as well, toilet humor abounds. Uh, thank you again. This is great. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Thank you all for listening. Please take care. Please wear a mask or seven. Uh, yeah. In with empathy. Be kind to yourself. It's okay to not be okay, etc. Thank you again. Bye. Woo!